So the Crown Act, as we all know, it's about creating a respectful open world for natural hair. And it's really focused around discrimination in the workplace and the education spaces like schools, institutions like that. So ironically, I think it was like 2019, pre-COVID, I actually sat on a panel at the Black Caucus with Larie. This was before the Crown Act went into law. And we had a quorum and it was a beautiful, amazing talk. Senator Bailey was there. Welcome to the Start Right Here podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett. And on this show, we have enlightening conversations with BIPOC beauty pros who have carved out careers across the industry. From corporate and creative to STEM and entrepreneurship, our guests share their career journeys, the lessons learned, and offer helpful tips that you can apply to your own lives, whether you want to break into the industry, pivot, or continue building a successful career of your own. Let's get started with this week's episode. Hi, everyone. Today, we are going to continue our discussion on the importance of natural hair, education, advocacy, legislation, and growth. Natural hair is here to stay. It's not a trend. So today, I'm really, really proud and happy to have some amazing women to talk about different aspects of the industry, as well as the NHBC, which is the Natural Hairstyling and Braiding Coalition and the work that they do. So I have with me today, Deborah Hair Bay, Holistic Hair Wellness Specialist and owner of Oh My Heavenly Hair, who is a veteran in this industry and an innovator in the category of braids. Erin Maben is owner of RD Beauty and Wellness. She's a member of the New York State Appearance Enhancement Advisory Committee and an entrepreneur and educator. Natasha Gaspar is the Chief Empowerment Officer of Maine Moves Media, and all of these women are founding members of the NHBC. So welcome to you all. Thank you. I'm excited to have you. So I want to start with a question for everybody. Where did you grow up and how did that shape your ideas about beauty? Deborah, I'd love to start with you. So I grew up in Bedside. It's such an amazing place on the spectrum of natural hair and braids. Probably the largest braid wearing population outside of Harlem and Africa. And so rightfully so, this is where I was born and raised. And this is where my love of natural hair and braids formulated and started. So what a wonderful history I have, even before I got started, because I'm right in the mecca of braids. I love that. Erin, how about you? So I will say I am from the capital of New York State, Albany, and I grew up in a predominantly white area. We are clustered with black people, but I will say, and this goes into my hair education, what led me here. So I had a very interesting education with hair at school. So we learned straight hair. And I noticed that in school, we didn't learn anything about our hair at all. And we had one teacher, her name was Miss Barber, shout out Miss Barber. She was the one black teacher that was there part time, very part time. But when she was there, it was very impactful for me. So having that type of experience, I decided after I'm going to change the law 
and the education around cosmetology because I also wanted to enter into the field of natural hairstyling. And there was no program available. And the one program that was available, I had to go to New York City to take it. Well, that wasn't demographically or geographically going to work for me. That's what led me on my journey. It was a terrible education experience, and I wanted future stylists to not have that experience again, which led me on a 20-year journey of finding my way into a space where I couldn't change the legislation in New York State around our hair. Great. And again, for the audience, when we talk about New York State, New York State is a model for the country. So we're concentrating on New York State, but what we're talking about happening in New York State are happening in other parts of the country and modeling for the world as well. Natasha, yes, how about I you? was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York as well, to Haitian parents. And so I grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn, which is Caribbean city, if you will. I grew up with Jamaicans, Trinidadians, other Haitian people, people from the diaspora. So I was surrounded by Caribbean culture, the music, the food, everything, the people. And so when I went to college, I decided to return to my natural hair because I was inspired by Ms. Lauren Hill. And up until that time, I've been having my hair pressed for special occasions, hot combs on the stove in the kitchen. My mom would do that. And then I graduated to the salon to get my hair straightened. And then I used to always get these terrible headaches afterwards and would just have to take a nap. And so when I used to go to the pharmacy, the neighborhood pharmacy, this was before Target and CVS and whatnot, we had our neighborhood pharmacies and they had an aisle of kitty perms. And I used to just look at the little girls there and just want to have my hair straightened without having to go through the hassle of heat. I didn't know about the hassle of chemicals at that time. <laughs> I jumped right into the fire pan to the fire with the relaxer. And so when I went to college and I was inspired by Lauren Hill, the question that I asked myself was, is it possible for me to wear my hair natural? And just that question of me questioning myself, if something is possible, something as natural as wearing my own hair, how it grows out of its head, I had to pause and think about that. And so in college, I was studying psychology and I immediately switched over to media when I found out that my school had a television studio downstairs. And so my journey into natural hair was sort of an unraveling of history and really finding out where these ideas about myself, where did they come from? And how much did media play a role in shaping how I felt about myself and how everyone around me was wearing relaxers? And so how did we get there? How did we get to that point? And that has started me on my journey to create Main Moves Media because I wanted to use the power of media for good, for change, for upliftment, for empowerment, and for self-love, and for truth, because it always starts there. So would you consider that a detour or a destination? That was a destination. I just didn't know I was on the ride. <laughs> I want to go back to Deborah for a second. When you were younger and you were surrounded and the influence of braids, did you ever think of that would be your career? Never. I had no idea that this is where I would wind up. I had a love and passion for it purely because I grew up seeing braids. People in my neighborhood, back then it was not extensions. People naturally wore their hair braided. However, 
this being my career path? Absolutely not. I had no idea. So do you consider a destination or a detour? Because I did not know this is what I was going to do, I guess it would be a detour. However, this career chose me. So it's absolutely a destination. Because if I was not supposed to be here, I wouldn't be here. That's a good way of looking at it. It's neither because you were chosen for this. This was your destiny as opposed to a destination. And Erin, you've already talked about this as actually you chose. So it's neither. Everybody here has made a conscious decision to be in this space and to innovate in this space. So I think that that is exciting. Well, it's pretty interesting that you say I chose because I will say like with Deborah, it chose me. Like I said, just because my goal was to change legislation prior to that, my experience was I was the person in the house doing my sister's hair. There was a lot of trauma that came from that for me. I used to braid her hair and that really turned me off from braiding. And then being the only black stylist in some of the salons, they automatically defer to you as the in-house expert. So they would send me these clients that were little kids, like stressed and crying. And I would really try to get away from braids because there was no experience that was nice. It was always trauma-based. And then once, like I said, these things started happening, I was like, the universe kept bringing me back to braids and here I am. So it was really more of an emotional journey in that aspect. So I tried to avoid it (laughs) and it just kept coming back to me. So the destination was always changing the law, but the journey chose me, if that makes sense. That does make sense. I want to ask something if that's okay. Of course. One of the things in looking for stylists to work with you is a dedication and a love and passion first. That supersedes money. And so just going back a little bit to what Erin said, how it chose her and it chose me. When looking for a stylist, it cannot be a stylist that is driven by money. And that sounds odd because we need money to live. It has to be more. It's a very laborious, taxing, fulfilling, empowering opportunity. But it has to be based on that's what you want to do. So in essence, it has to choose you. You have to have a love and passion for it first. Doesn't mean they won't be good. They'll be better when it's from here and not here. That's very powerful, Deborah. And I want to stay with you for a minute to talk about the evolution of how have you seen, because you've been in the game a little while, the evolution of natural hair and braids in particular. I'm going to go back to when I was growing up. I lived in a Black neighborhood. I saw Black people that did Black things. And so braiding in natural hair is what I grew up with. Now, were there people wearing relaxers? Absolutely. My focus kind of was on the natural thing. That's kind of what I loved and that's what I gravitated to. And that was part of our culture. Now moving forward, you can see variations of when it was popular and when it wasn't. However, the trajectory of where we are now with braids in natural hair taking substantial hold onto culture, the community, um, the way we see ourselves in the workplace. However, we're still fighting for that, but we have come such a long way in that it being a staple. It is 
absolutely a choice that you can have, that you desire, that you can do in terms of braiding and natural hair. That is not going away. It is not a fad. It is not a trend. It is here to stay. And so the evolution and then seeing all of the creativity and all of the art and all of the shouting out by way of hairstyle. When we talk about slavery, and I won't stay here for a long time, but I do want to talk about it for a minute. There was so much taken away from it, so many disconnections. However, natural hair and braids is that silent connection that we may not even realize that we verbalize and that we represent and replicate as our connection. It has grown and has been a substantial part of our community and will continue to be, whether we know that or not. So thoughts from Erin, from you, Natasha, on what Deborah says? Well, I'm thinking the evolution is a great term. I'm thinking also that now with psychotherapy and folks who are really looking into addressing what Erin talked about, the trauma that we had around braids, I think that that's part of the evolution, addressing the disconnection that happens. In the work that we're doing right now, that's all that we're focusing on is filling in those gaps. And this is the time for that. It's not just a style. It's not just a culture. It is all of it. It is a science. It is an art. It is our connection back to us. It is a connection to our lineage. And so I think that I'm sort of becoming a historian of sorts learning about the history of the movement. And there are so many parts of this movement that a lot of us don't really know. And I think that because of that, we have so many questions, but the answers are there. The answers are inside of us. This is beautiful. So when people think about braids, they're not thinking about history, the layers that exist. It's so many layers We know about the trauma. Many of us experience that trauma. But beyond that trauma, there are so many things that point that this history is inside of us. And it's that silent skill that we kept to know that and to understand that and to pass that down. See, if we talk about it now, to pass that down to the next generation. So this is not just a style. This is more than that. means so much more. So let's talk about your day-to-day work. We're going to talk about the NHBC a little bit, but the work that you're doing in the salon, in education, Erin, Deborah in the salon, and in the media. Let's talk about kinds of projects that you've worked on. So I just want to give you a definition for that silent skill. It's called hair literacy. Hair literacy means that you're born with a natural skill for hair. Doesn't mean that you know everything. It just means that you have a natural knack for it, that you can do a braid, you can do a ponytail, you can do things because it's just in you. And that's something that a lot of us have. So I just wanted to introduce that term, hair literacy. So the work that I'm doing around education is really focusing on bringing a different perspective. So I have a program that I've created. It's called Hair Steam. And Hair Steam is based around science, technology, and the mastery of hair. And so, for example, a lot of people don't realize that hairstylists or hair professionals, hair specialists, whatever you want to call us, we are chemists, we are engineers, we are scientists, because 
every day we're doing some form of math, some form of science, some form of measuring or calculating, or there's always something going on in our mind. You might see us there doing the hair, but in our mind, we're calculating time. We're calculating how long is this going to take so I can get the next person in my chair. And that really is a mastered skill. It's not something that you just get overnight. Like that comes after repetition. So with education, my goal is to bring these experiences to people so they can kind of explore them in a new way in a way that maybe they never thought about it before. So I like to incorporate color theory. I like to incorporate a microscope where we look at the hair strand. We look and see who has a medulla, who doesn't have a medulla. These different things that we don't even think about. And especially with hair that has melanin in it, that performs different than hair without melanin. It requires different care. So just seeing that with your naked eye allows people to have a different appreciation and respect for the fabric of hair itself. There's just so many things like another aspect of education that I'm really adamant about is proficiency execution of something. There's a saying that says teaching is repeating until it's learned. And it's so true, especially in this industry, you have to practice to become a master. And even when you are a master, you're not a master because there's more for you to learn. So it's really like at one moment, the teacher can be the student and the student become the teacher or however you want to coin that. So I like to be in a learning space throughout my career, period, because that just allows me to remain open and flexible for pivoting because there's so many things that are changing in our industry. But education, again, there's so many areas that we could cover, but my main focus is bringing steam into this space. And for people to understand that we are more than just dropouts, people that chose to do hair because we were lazy or didn't want to do anything else. This is really a degree worthy profession. And I want to bring that to the forefront because the amount of ongoing education and learning and skill that you have to have to really maintain and be relevant in this industry is a lot. It's not easy. I want to say that there is a gap right now with the students graduating school. They're all falling into this void because there's nothing there that's giving them the support to become a professional. And that's where we come into play is trying to give that future professional the support, not just while they're in school, but after they obtain their license. There's a space there. Yes, you can go become an apprentice at a salon, 100%. But is that salon proficient? Is that salon giving you the education that is going to elevate you to the next level? And a lot of times they're not. Because what happens is they're getting taught by someone who was practicing poor practices and it just becomes continued and handed down. So the goal is to really bring a fresh eye, a new look, a new experience. I want to introduce gentle styling. We talk about protective styling. When I think of protective styling, I think of armor. I think of protecting against harm. And it's like it's not harm. If we think about it in terms of gentle styling, what does that mean? That means we're not pulling at the hair. We're not causing overdirection of tension. We're not using hair that is irritating our scalp or braids that are too heavy for our follicle. We're thinking and we're being considerate about the integrity of the overall experience, not just for the hair, but for the client and for her to be able to wear that and maintain it at home. And that's something that a lot of stylists, I don't want to say they don't do, but it's missing in the industry. 
is educating your client to be able to maintain their hair at home with confidence, not to be reliant on you or dependent on you to come in every two weeks. I mean, in a perfect world, yes, that's how it was in another life when we were doing relaxers. But now I think it's more about preparing our client to be mentally, spiritually, and emotionally equipped to deal with their hair because it is such a space of void, especially for black women. It's like, oh my God, I can't look at my hair without a wig or I can't look at my hair because I don't have braids down to my butt. There's nothing wrong with having a wig or braids down to your butt. They're beautiful. They're meant to enhance your beauty. However, we have to start with our true beauty and that's the beauty we were naturally born with and that's our hair. And our hair has a story to tell and we're here to amplify that story because with the clients that I've experienced, it's a journey and it takes like a year. And I let them know this is going to be like a year. And by the time they come to me, they're sometimes ready for the journey and sometimes they're not. That's the difference between some of the hairstylists that are just doing hair to make it look pretty. I'm here as a healthy hair specialist because I want you to understand your hair and that not every product fits all. I'd like to kind of jump in where some points that Ari made, and I want to jump over to the Natural Handbrake Coalition. As an educated stylist by choice, it is important to interface with our customers and our clients. But going back to the Natural Handbrake Coalition and our goal to offer ethical hair care, ethical education, inclusion and diversity, as a stylist, You don't know what you don't know. And so it is so much more, this thing we call hair care, natural hair care and braids, is so much more than braiding. I think most of us can put in a braid. I think most of us could pretty much have a customer or client sit in your chair and do a little bit of something and then charge for it. But that is not the goal. And that is not what the Natural Hair Braid Coalition is all about. It is about the efficiency. It is about the science. It is about the professionalism. It is about the care, the soft styling that Erin mentioned. It's about all of that, being seen truly, being celebrated. And so the importance that we offer, that we serve, and that we demand through the Natural Hair and Braid Coalition is important. And those are just some of the highlights that we want. I'm glad you brought that up in this context. It's very critical because there are so many options for consumers. And if they want a great stylist, they should look for one that has this perspective. And then for stylists to understand that after you go through cosmetology school or have a natural license or whatever, that there is additional training that will benefit you. It's like being a doctor. You have to have continuing ed. You have to take boards. It's not one and done. So I think that there is such value that the NHBC is bringing to the community that it's so important to amplify because that's what these conversations are doing in a lot of ways is not only talking about what's happening in natural hair right now, but amplifying the core mission of NHBC and letting people know that this is not just something that just happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Our view of history is, again, we don't know what we don't know. If we don't tell them, they won't know. So Natasha, do you want to add? I loved everything that Erin and Deborah said, and this is why I'm here. Because when I met the pioneers in the industry, 
back in 2011, 2010, it clicked. Just like it clicked when I decided to go natural, I said, okay, something bigger is going on here. And when I met the pioneers, I said, you guys are the missing piece. You are what folks are looking for. And they don't even know that they're looking for you. But when I found them, I was like, this is a game changer because like we said, natural hair, the conversation was about looks, was about style, was about product. And when I say the conversation, I mean when social media came out and the current natural hair movement that we're in now, because there are many waves of this movement. The movement that we're in or the movement that started due to social media and thank goodness for social media was very surface to a certain extent. I mean, there was other conversations that were happening, but the overall conversation was just about the aesthetics and folks were trying to get used to this new look, this new texture. How can I exist in this world with my natural hair? And I felt like that was a question that needed to be explored. And so how do you explore something? You gather all the information, you find the experts, you do your research, you have your own experience, you talk to people. And that's what I've been doing my whole career. I wanted to go back to like, did it choose me? Did I choose it? I feel like it was both. I feel like we chose each other because it presented itself to me in so many ways. And I made that conscious decision to listen and to believe that I could make a difference because I could see it. I had a vision. I had a vision through other people's visions. When I listen to these stylists here and they talk about their love and passion and understanding about natural hair and wanting to create something more than what we have now, that's exactly why I'm here. I have the same passion. I want to create more than what we see because there is more than what we see. What we have been seeing has been through such a tiny lens there's so much more to us. There's so much more to the conversation. There's so much more to natural hair. And that's why I wanted to speak about media. When we talk about new techniques and gentle styling and doing things differently, the current narrative around our hair is that it's just hair. Like it's a safe practice to do our hair. We've been doing it on the streets. We've been doing it since we were kids. What do you need to be licensed for? That shows a lack of value. It shows that you have a lack of understanding, one, that it's not just hair. It's our hair, just like anybody else's hair. Why are there protocols and standards for other types of hair, but for our hair, it's nothing, just leave it be. This is a billion-dollar industry that we're in, and we just scratch the surface because everybody's just talking about products. And half them products probably not even good for us anyway, but we could table that for another conversation. However... As an advocate in the NHBC, as a media professional, as a communications person, I realize that the more I speak to people, legislators, politicians, everyday folk, there's just not an understanding or connection that's being made between our natural hair, our health, our economics, and definitely our cultural and our legacy. That is why we're here. We're here to make that connection. We're here to fill in those gaps of information where people are just, and listen, this is not a blame on anybody. This is just how it is. This is just how it was. Our hair has had this attachment to pain and trauma and shame and all of these different things for so many reasons. We can go on and on about the reasons. 
But the good news is that all of that stuff doesn't even matter because none of it is true. It was never true. And so we have an opportunity and it's important to understand that it doesn't matter how it is right now because that has been something that has come from the past. But now it's time for us to shed that, to let that go, let those narratives go. Our hair is not enough. We're not enough. That is the issue at the end of the day. And so as an advocate, part of that work is to bring awareness sometimes to how people already think or things that people are not thinking about. And when we go up to Albany and we talk to people and we lay it out, light bulbs start to go off. They start to make the connection. I never thought about it that way. I didn't know. And that's really what we're dealing with is just ignorance. So I think sometimes with advocacy, people think you have to be angry and you got to fight and we got to drag it out. I'm not here for that. I come with my heart open because I'm not here to fight. I know the truth. You don't know. I'm about to school you. And you're going to be grateful afterwards because you're now going to be elevated. So I take that as a privilege. I take that as this is fun for me to change a mind, giving a little bit of information or a different perspective on something. And that's what we do with the NHBC. And we're powerful because we are all on the same page. We understand that we are the answer. There's nowhere else we need to look. There's no one else that's going to tell us how to do this. Who has the authority to tell me about my hair and how it grows out of my head? Not you, especially if you don't have hair like me. So that's the mindset that we all can have moving forward is that this is our life to live and we will direct it in the way that we see fit. And so I'm going to wrap this up. The license in New York State. One of the reasons why I think that it's important for us to continue to talk about it is because there's a misconception that the state is the one that created the license and is the one that is imposing these mandates that we need to have a license. That could not be further from the truth. Pioneering braiders, natural hairstylists, lacticians who wanted economic opportunity, stability, entrepreneurship, an opportunity to service their community in the way that they need to be serviced to care for them holistically without having to look over their shoulder and be fine because they didn't go to cosmetology school that did not teach anything about natural hair care and braiding. So they saw the need, they saw the gap and they filled it because that's what black women do. And so that's the part that I think people need to understand that it will make people feel a sigh of relief when they realize that they had it twisted. We demanded, we petitioned, for a license because we said, listen, this is a cultural practice that is innate in us. This is what we have been doing. This is what we know works. We have been healing folks who have been suffering from a laxers for all these years. They are wounded. They need care and love and they need their hair taken care of naturally. So we are going to work together and create this curriculum. We're going to create this license. If anyone wants to come in, wonderful. You are going to learn from the masses. You're going to learn history of our hair. You're going to learn history of braiding. You're going to learn about scalp disorders and diseases because it is a science. Everything is a science and especially us. And we deserve to know about ourselves. We deserve to love ourselves. We deserve to care for ourselves and we deserve to care for each other. And that is what the Natural Hair Styling License represents in New York State. 
all of this is so, so powerful. So I want to talk a little bit about how the collective work of NHBC is buoyed by and can benefit from an event like I Love Brave Day. And then let's talk about the Crown Act after that. We just had the International I Love Braves Day. But let's talk about why that was started and why that's a critical part of our culture to celebrate them. Outside of the inherent love, passion, cultural connections, it is the importance of it. History is important because it connects us to who we are and it is the foundation for us to move forward. And so to be able to present that in a way that is necessary, powerful, beautiful, and showcasing some really amazing stylists was necessary. How did this come up? Well, as a braider by choice, I wanted to create a lasting legacy, something that could represent us well, that could represent us in our truth of who we are, not who people say we are, and then have people participate in a celebration. And when I say celebration, it is to celebrate the history, the culture, the design and beauty of braids. And so that was important to me. I think as human beings, we always want to know what are we leaving? When we're no longer here, what will say that I was here? And so International Isle of Braids Day for me was very important. However, for our culture, for history, because braids is not something that we can own. That is something that every culture has a connection to. But when it comes to the African diaspora, now I want to have a say-so about it. And I want to connect those pieces so that you understand real clear what this is, what we're trying to do, and then connect all those pieces, science, culture, history, what it looks like and the beauty of it, and then what it means. So that's kind of where International Island Brace Day came out of, passion, necessity, and then a legacy going forward. Such a powerful thing. If I may, I just want to go back a little bit to what Natasha said about the connections to our culture, our health, and just understanding that we are enough. The power that comes with the natural hair. If you walk into an office and you look the way that you look, fully understanding, and even if you don't understand what this represents, whether you have an afro, whether you have locks, whether you have braids, and you walk into that office and you are clear, you're solid, and they hear it, you may not even know that's what you're doing. So now, if you have a person walking in and they don't want to look like the overall average person, that may mean that they're not going to listen. That may mean that they're not going to get along and get along because they understand who they are. That's the issue. This is power right here. And when you understand that power, now we have a problem. That's what this is about. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the Start Right Here podcast and leave a review. Also, you can sign up for our mailing list at theberoundtable.com. So you will be on the know about all the good things coming. Aaron, can you speak a little bit about the Crown Act 
and how that factors into the work of the NHBC. So the Crown Act, as we all know, it's about creating a respectful, open world for natural hair. And it's really focused around discrimination and the workplace and the education spaces like schools, institutions like that. So ironically, I think it was like 2019, pre-COVID, I actually sat on a panel at the Black Caucus with Larie. This was before the Crown Act went into law. And we had a quorum and it was a beautiful, amazing talk. Senator Bailey was there. There was another woman who was a part of the Crown Act. I can't ever remember her name, but she was an amazing addition to that panel. But then we talked about it like, hey, we need this. This is what we need to happen. And it happened. It's now happening in now, I believe, 23 states across the nation, which is great. The goal is 50 and globally as well. This is not just a U.S. issue. This is a global issue. So what this Crown Act for us has done, it's allowed us to not only refer back to it, but express that this is a doorway into education in hair because that's where it starts. It starts with the education that future stylists are getting and going out in the world. And typically the education they're getting at school, like mine, is about one texture of hair. It is not about a variety. It is not about multiple textures. It's about one texture of hair and the rest is just kind of like you figure it out when you figure it out. And that's really not sustainable for a stylist going into the world we live in, especially when 65% of our world has texture. So how do we prepare for that in hair school? That's where the NHBC comes in. We have to overhaul this whole system. Cosmetology itself, not just in New York State, has not been updated in over 50 years. So when we look at 50 years ago, we were in, what, the 70s or so? So we were coming out of civil rights, going into the free love era, moving into the 80s. But we kind of skipped some steps in there. And now we're here to where we're like, okay, we have to go back to those spaces so we can, again, bring forward what this really means. And the Crown Act, I feel like, is a great initiative. It's working. Like, you see Texas, they weren't playing. That young man with the locks, I'm glad that they stood 10 toes down, so to speak, and were not budging. And then the law got passed. That's so important. But again, the work that really needs to happen is not just in our work environments in corporate America. It's not just in the schools and the institutions, it starts with the stylist as well. So we have to go back into these schools and overhaul the curriculum, the testing measures, and the things that are really not productive towards a all-inclusive hairstylist. Because nobody wants to go to a hair salon and feel like they're being turned away because somebody can't do their hair. So that makes them feel less than, oh, there's something wrong with my hair. So now I need to go straighten it or do something outside of its norm. The Crown Act has been a great thing, I feel like, for our industry. It's really opened up doors and eyes that would have never seen what it is that we experience on a day to day. So the work that the NHBC is doing is... We've been working with legislators and politicians on changing law and policy and making sure things are compliant. Because in 2017, Pretlow introduced a bill. And that bill was basically to bring in and make sure that the schools were incorporating cultural ethnicities in their 
standards as well as hair types because we live in a world where there's a variety of hair types. And this isn't just about the kinkiest, curliest hair. This is just even wavy hair. These stylists don't even know how to do wavy hair. We can't even get to the kinky coily yet because you don't even know how to do the wavy. So we have to really overhaul and start from the beginning. So we can understand that all of these hair types and textures are nothing but different fabrics and they all require different care. Just like if you bought a silk shirt from the store versus a cotton shirt from the store, they're going to require different care. And we have to look at our hair, not in a space of race or black and white. That happens a lot. Oh, black hair, white hair. Okay, no, that was something that was instilled, indoctrinated in our culture, in our society, because at one point it was segregated. But now we've integrated because we have a lot of children that are biracial, a lot of people that are coming from other countries that have immigrated here. They have different textures as well. So we have to keep up with the times. And the times are saying Hey, look, we need more inclusion. We need more diversity with our learning. And that to me is why we're here. We're here to give them the, hey, look, this is what needs to happen. What you were doing was cute. We appreciate it. But this is what needs to happen. This cannot be a one trick pony. This is not a black and white area. This is a gray area. It's vast. It's just so amazing and beautiful to be alive, honestly, in this time of change, because we are literally in the pivot. We are the paradigm. Forget being in it. We are the shift. And because we are the shift, we've been able to, again, change policy. We've been able to help people have a better idea and understanding of what our hair means, especially regarding our health, because we don't talk about our health enough as black women. It's just kind of like we put a Band-Aid on and we just move on. Black women suffer from superwoman syndrome or what have you, like where we have to wear this cape and we're just out there like, yes, I'm doing it. And then we're just crumbling inside. And that really reflects from our hair. Like I get so many clients that come in worn down. They don't realize that their hair is really showing how their body is feeling. So if they're losing hair or if their hair is brittle, that's a deficiency of some sort. That is also something probably related to your stress level, your diet. And then we definitely can get into scalp diseases and disorders, but it's all related. And I think the Crown Act and the NHBC together, we're able to bring a holistic approach to this necessary change. So how do we amplify this message and then also engage younger generations in this work? Because one of the powerful things that Deborah said is wanting to leave a legacy. So this is going to be an ongoing effort. So how do we engage people and how do we amplify this message so that it gets as much airtime as the Crown Act? I just want to say two things. The first one is absolutely the education system, not just hair education, but school education. We've done different events where we've gone into schools and we've talked to the young women about their hair. And a lot of them are just sitting there like with their eyes as big as the day is long because nobody's ever talked to them about their hair in a way that is healthy, in a way that is, hey, this is what your hair does. 
Your hair doesn't do this. This product is not for your hair type, but you can try this. And when they hear that, it's like, oh, and then they're like, well, my mom is just damaging my hair. So we really want to think about it in a holistic approach. And it's always going to be the youth, but it's also us. And going into hair school, like future professionals, that is another part of this. Because if their education changes and they're able to see it in a different way, they're going to go out into the world and they're going to practice what they learned. They're going to be able to say, you know what? I learned this in school. I want to give you an example. When I taught at a hair school, and I quit, by the way, because I felt like the education was stifling to the students and they weren't open to what I was expressing to them in terms of incorporating hair textures in their curriculum. So when we would do consultations for hair color, the first thing they'll do is they'll bring the swatch book over, they'll look at the hair, they'll do all the steps. Amazing. The one thing that I incorporated that the school had trouble incorporating was teaching the student to recognize the texture of the hair as well as the color of the hair, because that determines how that hair color is going to live on that client. And when the students were learning that, they were just like, oh my goodness, that made such a difference with the execution of this color on this client. And that is some of the things that are missing in the schools. It's not the technique. It's the understanding of the why. Why do I need to treat this hair like this? Why should I pay attention to its texture? Because the kinkier, the curlier, the more coily it gets, the more fragile and brittle it can be, depending on what you do. So you have to enter that space with gentleness. You can't just jump in there and put 40 volume on the hair because you want to hurry up. That's not going to help the client's hair keep its integrity or sustain that color or style over time. Powerful. Deborah? I would like to add, we are very visual people. And so sometimes words, even though they're very important, does not inspire us to move or do. However, when you can see something that's memorable or striking or made you look, as they say, right? That's something you can decide I want more of or I do not. And so that's another important factor of International Isle of Braids Day. There's a lot that I want to achieve through International Isle of Braids Day. There is a lot that I have to say. However, how do I grab you to even listen? And you grab them to listen by the visual. Those images that come through International Isle of Braids Day are striking, impressive, memorable. And so once I can get you there, now I have you to listen. That's how we'll encourage our younger people. That's how we will encourage other people to even come in closer, come in a little closer because I do have something to say. I have something I want to show you. And so I think visuals are extremely important in terms of our advocacy to even get people to listen sometimes. Mm -hmm. So that is an attribute that I would say would be important for us to continue to do the work that we do. Natasha, did you have something to add? I would say for people who want to get involved and to move this forward, like I said before, everything starts with you. Deborah talked about being clear about who you are, and that's really actually where it starts. And you could use me as an example. Once I got clear on who I was, everything that I have done since then has been a testament to that. I 
created a whole media company because I thought that that's what we needed. I was like, well, if it doesn't exist, I'm going to create it. That is the level of intention that anybody can have. You don't have to start a media company, but you can talk to somebody because I talk to everybody that I meet. We always talk about hair. Sometimes I don't even bring it up. We always start to talk about hair. And then that's when we're talking about all the things. We're talking about all types of things, politics, race, identity, culture, health, everything can flow through hair. And so I think that for anyone who wants to make a difference, you can host a panel discussion, reach out to the NHBC, have us come and speak to your school, to your staff. It's really about spreading information and that can happen on a grand scale or it can happen as a one-on-one conversation. If you see someone who might have an old way of thinking about hair, you can introduce them to a new perspective and that is gonna ripple. Like Evan said, we do talk to young girls. We are in the process of creating curriculum for young folks. I have a workshop called Next Level Naturals that I run with Diane C. Bailey, where we teach the community how to do their own hair. It's a hands-on natural hair class. And that idea came because we were thinking about how can we make the most impact? What is the thing that folks need to build a relationship with their hair? That's really what is at the root of this. So how do you do that? You give them an opportunity to actually sit down and do their hair. (laughs) They don't have to go to YouTube. They don't have to try to figure out what's going on in the mirror. You have an actual professional here who can come and help guide you. You can learn about products. You can learn about your texture. What does this mean? All the questions that you've ever had can be answered. That was a simple workshop that we thought about. We wrote it out. And we did it. Advocacy doesn't have to be difficult. You don't have to go and speak to the president. It starts in your home. It starts with your friends. It starts with your classmates. It starts with your coworker, your supervisor, the person that you're sitting next to on the train, somebody on the bus. It's all of that. But then what is inside of you? What is the thing that you want to bring forth to the world? Share it. No matter how crazy it might sound, you think it might sound, it might be the thing that will change everything. This conversation just reminds me, I don't know if anybody's ever read The Big Leap from Gay Hendricks, and it's about finding your zone of genius. He identifies the zone of incompetence, competence, and excellence and genius. And your zone of genius, one of the things he says is your zone of genius is something that was in you from birth that you identify, that if you didn't get paid, you're so passionate about it, you didn't. And I feel like all of you are just examples of people living and working in your zone of genius. And that you see the power of finding what's right for you, working it, staying with it, and the difference it makes, not only in your own lives, but in the lives of the people that you're serving, And it's just a powerful thing to behold. I just wanted to let you guys know that because I was like, oh, this is just a zone of genius in action right here. I would say what's good for me is good for you. It's good for all of us. If it's truly good for me, it's going to be good for everybody. So that's what makes me do it. So I want to make sure that people know how we'll put this in the show notes, but sometimes people, if they hear it, they'll do it. If they see it somewhere, they'll do it like on the screen. So please share your social contacts personally, and the NHBC as well. I'll start. So 
people can find me on Instagram at Maine Moves. That's M-A-N-E, Maine as in hair, Moves, M-O-V-E-S. Um, also, the website is MainMovesMedia.com. And I'll share the NHBC's information as well. We have a beautiful website created by Erin. So we're appreciative of that. It's nhbcoalition.org. And so we also have an Instagram as well. It's at the underscore NHBC. Deborah, your contact. You can find me at Oh My Heavenly Hair as the website, ohmyheavenlyhair.com as an O-H. You can also find me under International I Love Braids Day. And that is abbreviated on IG with I-N-T-L, I Love Braids Day, B-L-C, which stands for Braid Love Celebration. Under ohmyhair.com, you can find everything. So that is like the one stop. And Erin? So you can find me. I have two main pages. One is genuinely.dope. This is on Instagram. And the other is E.J. Hundley, H-U-N-D-L-E-Y. Um, and in both of those, the bio are like links to everything possible. So if you need me for some graphic design work or you want some education for hair, it's all there. <laughs> Wonderful. This has been such a powerful discussion. I mean, just exceeded my expectations. So I want to thank you so much, each of you, for just sharing your insight, your stories, and your passion for women with textured hair, for people with textured hair, because it's not just women, professionals who can benefit from textured hair education, the need for advocacy, how we can all be advocates. That's really an important part of it. How can we all be advocates? And then the fact that this is that hair literacy that's inherent in all of us. So I want to thank you all just for being here again. It's been a great experience. That's our show for today. Follow Start Right Here on Instagram at start underscore right underscore here underscore podcast. And check out the Last Word newsletter for my latest musings on beauty and inclusion.